Hello, everybody. This is Connor Lestoka, and this is 372 pages we'll never get back. Joining me, as always, is Mike Nelson. Mike, how are you doing? I'm good, Connor. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Um, I wanted to, before we got on with the penultimate episode that we're doing here today, uh, answer, I guess, is probably the most popular question that we've been getting via emails and social media, and that is, um, who... Or what is responsible for the theme music for the podcast? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go um, ahead. Tell them. Yeah. So people have just been sort of banging our door down, wondering if this is sort of like needle drop music or another song like we found, like the fan fiction rap. And uh, to answer their question, it is an original composition that I composed, and uh, that's where it came from. Hmm. Uh, yeah. A question about that. Yep. Is I. And, and this is an honest question. I am a babe in the woods here. I have sure. no... Uh, is, is compose the right word for a piece of music such as this? I mean... Well, yeah, I like it, you know, it didn't exist. And then I I sat down and then... And, you know, com- and composed. An amount of time later, it, it existed. So yeah, it would not have been... Sure. It, <laughs> sure. A piece of music without me doing it. So That's true. Know. No, that is true. I, I do... Now I picture you... Uh, like Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart at your billiard table, throwing that ball back and forth as you feverishly scribble with your uh, quill pen on a uh, scroll of fool's cap. So yeah, okay. it's remarkably similar. Yes, yes. Thank you. And uh, and also you you said a lot of interest in this, a lot of sure. interest. So yeah, I was... don't know, just off the top of your head, what eight hundred letters? I mean, well, then, you know, that's a lot. There's not that many. <laughs> right, but that's what you, you said a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, there's been interest in it. I'm so just, it's... I'm just trying to, you know, when you say a lot, you have to have some bar for it. So 800 is the starter. So less than that. Less than 80. Yeah, it was less than 800. 600. But it was still, no, it's not 600 either. That's That would be, we haven't gotten 600 emails the whole time we've been doing this. Is 600 way too high or 600? There was one guy on Twitter who asked <laughs> about it last week. <laughs> And he wondered if it was me or you, so I thought I would address that. It was all right, all right. <laughs> it was not that much interest, but I thought that I would answer his question. No, that's that's fair and proper. Uh, Nobody was, else cared. That, <laughs> it was Connor who did that, and this, of course, <laughs> uh, is the podcast. You probably know because you are listening, but sometimes people accidentally listen to podcasts. This is the podcast where Connor and I, who worked together for years over at Rift Tracks. We are reading through a book, and hopefully so are you. Uh, it's not mandatory. It's suggested no. <laughs> that you read along with uh, Ernest Klein's Ready Player One. And uh, this was the premise being that this is a book we're probably going to hate. And, uh, you know, let the listener decide. There are many episodes out there already, and there'll be, uh, I guess, one more to follow. I, I don't know if we'll do a dust-up episode or anything like that. There might be... Uh addendums and things after that but probably just one more episode of this podcast and uh, connor our our hero wade uh is looking for the easter egg from the left in the virtual world by the billionaire halliday and when last we last we left him where was wade where are we up to this point well, Wade was sort of uh, in media res in this uh, plan he had and we don't know all the details of it when we when we left the last time uh, and as far as I'm concerned, we don't know, like, a lot of important details. So, like, he's ended up as an indentured servant. Um, he was dragged out of his 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 apartment like a, a chunk of spam from a can uh, by the drop cops. 
Yes, this was uh, a very much like an episode, if, if anyone remembers, because I think the anniversary for the, the release of this film just rolled around uh, Brazil. It was very Brazil-like as these, uh, you know, they, they roped down and took away our, our hero, our citizen, our ordinary citizen. And uh, more about that later, but uh, continue. Yeah, so he's uh, working as a as a indentured servant in the tech support uh, area of IOI, and this is something that people have to do when they have amassed debts to IOI and can't pay them off. So they show up to this job where they are essentially, you know, sheltered and fed, but they it's like you know severe credit card debt or something. You can't actually get rid of it because the interest keeps piling up, and so it's sort of a lifetime of um, slavery, I guess he puts it. Yes, and we we have a uh, we have a timeline problem once again that, uh, or or at least a bit of fogginess that I think we should sort out in a minute. But this will not be the last one. Yes, but we probably should start with one of our favorite departments. Yes, fanfic or real? It is time. And now I bet they bitchin' cause my flow switchin' Tryna tell me what to write about some fan fiction Can't they just be happy? I no longer have to face eviction That I'm living on my life, I'm living on my inner vision right now Yes, indeed. That popular series, fan fiction or real? Um, Connor, we did not talk before this. Did you bring any to the table? Because we acknowledge that it's getting rough at this point because the yes. premise of fanfic or real is that we read ahead in the book to find something neither one of us has read. We we don't cheat. We just find something. Right. We're not even reading ahead. It's mostly been flipping to a page, and there's yeah, always been so. something on that page that has been like, holy crap, this is going to fool Mike type of thing. <laughs> right. And so the, the obviously those examples are getting a little thinner, but I was still able to to eke some out. And, of course, the fan fiction is is bounteous. Bounteous, yes. And now you pointed out we're the, like, the third results if you search for Ready Player One fan fiction. Is this podcast? Yeah, uh, with a particular I, – I think I just searched RP1, numero okay. one, and, uh, and we're the third there. So it may be a quirk of the RP1, but I thought that's that a pretty That could be just having us looked at it. But, yeah, maybe we'll yeah. find a new audience that way. Uh, yeah, I'll go first. I'll read you. Uh, I've got two, so we can read okay. them and you can you can vote. All right. Uh, here's the first one. Klingon expert agent IOI six seven eight three two four from Sector Quonos was jacked in and could now see what we were seeing. On the other side of the stone barrow, Klingon lan- lang- language symbols were etched into it. We were all dumbfounded, but six seven eight three two four just grinned. He says the city speaker will show you the next. He informed us with a clenched fist. Oh boy! Okay. That's, yeah, it was obviously Klingon there. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you did a very excellent. Your <laughs> Not, accent is a little bit southern, but it was it was nice. I didn't expel like half of the uh, half of one of my lungs. As yeah, I you have to protect that. your microphone equipment from uh, the phlegm when you try to do that. All right, so that's the Klingon expert. Sure. Uh, the next one, dude. Mjolnir is just a bullshit magical Swiss army knife, Cruz said. Even worse than the Green Lantern's ring. They give that hammer a new power every other week just to get Thor out of whatever asinine fix they've written him into. He smirked. By the way, lots of other people have wielded Mjolnir, including Wonder Woman in a crossover issue. Google it. Your whole argument is invalid, Dial. Wow. May I say right away, these are both expertly done. Because I'm... uh... (laughs) I'm 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 wondering right now, but I think I have my answers. All right, let's go. Number one, Klingon expert. I think because he mentioned Klingon before, I I think that may be real. 
That is not real. That oh. is from an excerpt I found posted on Reddit. Uh, uh. Live to Tell by Codebreaker2001. Oh, dang. All right. Well, I then that, yeah. that throws my second guess off completely. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to say the second one is real then. Although I, if, if the first one were the other way, I, I'm flipping it now because I honestly thought this one was the fanfic. But I'm assuming you're bringing a real one to the table. So I'm going to say that it's real. All right. Well, it's kind of a cheat. Uh, I flipped through the book and I landed on this and I was like, holy crap, this is really going to, this is going to, this is going to throw him, but it's it comes from, from the, the excerpt of the Armada. Excerpt, that's at the yeah. back of our book. So it is written by Ernest Klein, but it's from the next book, which makes sense. Cause we don't know who Cruz and dial are, but, um, so, you know, you can see that he's, he's, he's advanced. He in really the next has. Book. Yeah. He's uh, really taken that sort of, um, album two kind of step. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's oh, like the boy. Ramones. It's just, uh, you know, one song and uh, run it into the ground. Yep. Well, I think my challenge to you, I don't I don't know how it'll sit. I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to pre-guess it. I'm just going right. to go through. All right. OK. Because, um, you know, I don't know what you read. So if, if you came across any of. Well, never mind. Again. Sure. Yeah. Why, I, why I, am I over explaining this? Yeah. We, we know what it is. Uh this is one. Uh, I knew that calm and slightly stilted voice very well, and now I knew why the arcade looked familiar. I was in the Fox Hills Mall Arcade, the setting of the Bishop of Battle. The Bishop oh. of Battle was a memorable sequence of a 1983 horror anthology movie starring a young Emilio Estevez as a <laughs> punk-rocking video game hustler who has to battle video game enemies that cross over into the real world. <laughs> that is number one. Wow. Number two, Artemis's avatar and my own avatar stood leaning against the left side of the scoreboard, both now wearing that know-it-all grin, and H and Shoto's avatar wearing the same grin whilst leaning against the right side of the scoreboard. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> and finally, number three. That bastard will probably get off scot-free, I said. IOI can afford to hire the best lawyers in the world. Yes, they can, H said. Then he flashed his Cheshire grin. But now, <laughs> so can we. Oh, my God. It's challenging, uh, isn't it? So first, it is. first one is the Fox Hills Mall Arcade. Sure, the Emilio, the Emilio Estevez. Estevez. My guess is that that is very well-researched and tonally perfect fan fiction. That is correct. All right. It is, it is tonally it, perfect. It just, I think that just by the disadvantage of having only, you know, 40 pages left. So, um, right. that was, that, that was what I think, but yeah, they did, they did their research. Number two is the Artemis's avatar and their own wearing a know-it-all grin and leaning. That against is them. one of the worst things I've ever heard read to me, uh, in terms of just setting a scene for what I am guessing is a triumphant climactic moment in the book, but I believe it's real. That is not real. Oh, damn it. It's <laughs> fan fiction. Uh, <laughs> and so number, right. th number three, we're talking about I, the lawyers and the Cheshire I, grin. I believe that one. I thought they both were real. I thought they were both going to be from the end of the book. That one is from the triumphant right. <laughs> end. Of... <laughs> uh, yeah, that is powerful stuff. <laughs> I, I like the, the, second the, one was, yeah. the, the second one. You're right, because the... Um, 
the weird grammar of the both now wearing that know-it-all yeah. grin and H and Shoto's avatar right. wearing the same grin whilst the leaning. Side. Yes. That's whilst... Very, they really captured the Klein, yeah, the Klein I, syntax there. Had me fooled. Wow. Yeah. So that was uh, that was fanfic or real, <laughs> and uh, I think uh, we're batting pretty much. We're probably all about five hundred on this, yeah, right? Because it really is a coin flip. I mean, it's just. It seems like every time we do it, I have one that I'm like stepping away from the mic in shock that I've missed it. <laughs> right. All right. So let's pick up the plot again. So he's in, uh, he's in his cubicle, and then he's going to his coffin and laying down at night. Yeah. So essentially, what we're gonna get here is, um, I think I, I really think it's pure uncut Klein. Like for a long time during this whole series of like his plan, we're going to see sort of the cultural illusions disappear and we just get here plot and description like without any of those uh, familiar crutches that we've seen throughout the book. And it does not go well, I believe. No, it doesn't go well. And we also see him turn on uh, something that's puzzled us from the beginning is, um, you know, supposed to be funny or unintentionally <laughs> funny. And it is literally impossible to tell the difference because, um, I mean, you just you from the way that he writes it, you you cannot tell. There's so many unintentionally funny sentences as witnessed by dumb sentence of the week right. that when he does try to spin out a gag or two, they come across so bizarrely <laughs> that it's it really is impossible to tell. And this was stuffed with that, I think. Yeah. I well, think the first one. Yeah, shows up um, very early on as he heads to his customer service booth and has to has to deal with a uh, angry uh, Gunter named Hotcock 007. Yep. That's, uh, yeah. so yeah. is that supposed to be sort of piercing satire? Is it a broad joke? It's again, impossible to tell because it, it makes me feel bad about any time I've ever made a screen name joke. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, this is 2044. Is that the year? Yeah, we're, we're uh, yeah, sure. It sounds about right. Twenty forty four, and uh, and people are still they're still doing that. Yeah, so there's you know roving marauders, irradiated hordes, two we, two year lines at uh, Arby's to get jobs, and people are still logging on. You know, in their malnourished state, you know, impoverished outside, and they're using that's what they are entering into their oasis for the advisor the first time they want to log on. Hotcock 007. Yep. And uh, even before that, I'll point to this bit of biting satire um, because he's talking about he's kind of describing, obviously, a soulless office environment and and the satire being that they're all sort of chained into their cubicles, man. <laughs> and because uh, that, you know, we've never seen that before, but <laughs> which is not a disqualification. He just no, I mean, sure. he just does it poorly. But um, he says he's allowed to hang up artwork in his in his cubicle and one of the things he references is the uh the the cat hanging from a whatever a clothesline and you know yes. with an hang admonition to hang yeah. in he doesn't actually say the hang but he references the hang in their baby poster <laughs> so society had collapsed many years before but damn it you can't get rid of those hang in their baby posters <laughs> there probably is some like you know factory that's in iowa that like has the rights to that images where they just sort of print those out daily and they're they're still they're still going strong in this era yeah i, I just like that he's in 2044 is satirizing um you know office workers from uh, 1971 so you know, <laughs> keep it up man they deserve it 
Well, something that I liked in this part was he so he so I looked at I looked at the back of the book this week. I was looking at the back cover text um, and I, I realized that what we talked about last week where it's sort of um, that sentence where he was like the, the cops, the drop cops. You know, I finally realized what was going to happen. They were going to take me outside. And we sort of realized that that was sort of a he's going for a, like a alienation from the real world type of thing, which we said has been done not very well. Uh, but that's sort of emphasized on the back of the book. It, the last line of the summary is like, if Wade's going to survive, he'll have to win and confront the real world. He's always been so desperate to escape. So that's sort of like the publisher being like, this is the broader theme of this book. It's not just references to 80s garbage. And so this has another incident of that, of like, he's in the real world now. He says, I'd grown to despise the other indents almost as much as the customer's. And he later on walks past a stream of sullen university students. And it's, <laughs> he's just a giant dick who's who's entered into <laughs> this, this area with all these other people for the first time. And he just is instantly shutting down and being like, you know, I, I hate these people. I'm not even going to try like they're slaves. He, he later on sort of wonders if the uh, office drones at IOI feel any sympathy for them. But he immediately is like, screw these people. <laughs> I, I hate everyone else around me. Yeah, he is, uh, you know, if you did the, the recut trailer of this, if this were a movie, the recut of it, he is the villain in this. I mean, oh, yeah. No about it. He's like a less charming Holden Caulfield or Travis Bickle or something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and he, once again, he referenced the, um, uh, I think, a, a number of times. He uses different combinations of the word, like, soulless corporate monsters and stuff like that. Right. And, and really, you do at a certain point, you go, who hurt you, man? I mean, what what <laughs> happened to you right. from this corporation? I mean, I assume you threw your apple into a, a cauldron, your, you know, all your Macs and everything and burnt them in a right. <laughs> you know, in a crucible while you curse their names. Like what what is because he never really actually names their crime other than. They're cheating at that game. They're cheating sure. to try to get the, which is, you know, that's. And they threw the guy off the 43rd floor of his skyscraper. I mean, yeah, but that it. happens kind of deep into the novel when he's already referenced them as evil many, many, many times. Yes, they didn't get They're the nickname Sucksaurs for murdering. Yeah, they right. got Sucksaur for throttling traffic to Netflix on uh, <laughs> right. peak they're, viewing hours. They're being, they're being kind of lame, man. So uh, they deserve death. But, um, do you want me to, I'll get to my, what I thought was a real, the real twist of this story. All right. And, and it comes um, maybe three pages into this, this new section that we read when he's an indentured servant. Because remember the drama of being yanked from his room with the, uh, the torches and everything, the like cutting torches that uh, yeah, the, yeah. the various cages that he'd set around himself and he he puts a, a you know a piece of uh, incendiary in his computer and melts it down just in time <laughs> because he had built that second like platinum or titanium cage to keep them off another three minutes yes, so he, he had, had a little more time the door. yeah and then he you know lays on the floor and is is uh is taken away by them and so wow this is this is quite a dramatic moment <laughs> but then the twist comes three pages later when he tells us that he meant to become an indentured servant to IOI, which is, I mean, it's kind of irrelevant because we'd either guessed it three pages ago or it doesn't matter because he told us in the two pages before this that he already had their codes and was sabotaging them actively already. So right. the fact that he meant to do it is utterly irrelevant. 
He says he had bought the uh, the codes to break into their system at an auction several years before, just as a, I don't know, seems like it'd be fun to have. <laughs> yeah, he, he bought it from the Elite Hackser Warehouse, which is evidently the, the most useful site on the internet because you can get a new identity, you can get codes to sabotage IOI, and for a company where they emphasize that uh, Nolan uh, Sorrento was you know, sniping bids eBay style at the last minute to buy the yes. orb of healing or whatever. Uh, he's evidently unaware of this site that would probably solve all of their problems. It would, yeah. <laughs> it, would it would sort of be like us uh, if some guy was operating, you know, the Riftrax Depot where he sold all our products for, you know, a dollar and we just were unaware of that going on. Um, right. <laughs> but I, but it's another instance of him, um, I, I talked to a friend last night who was reluctantly uh, reading along. He finished oh, nice. he finished the book and he's listening to the podcast. And he said, uh, unbidden for me, he said, God, he really is a master of dissipating his own lame tension. Like, <laughs> he's, as soon as he acts, sort of ha backs into a, a bit of like, oh, oh, what will happen next? He immediately <laughs> dissipates it. No, so this happens uh, very quickly here. Someone wrote in to point it out. Uh, forgive me for not remembering who it was, but he says, you know, the first time he tries the password, he says, I held my breath like if it didn't work, I had just sold myself into a lifetime of slavery. Right. Uh, and then within, I believe it was three pages later, he says, by the way, I had arranged for the funds to be transferred here so I could buy myself out of this. Um, <laughs> so there was, I mean, it was just, it was like, like you said, an unreliable narrator. There was never a chance of lifetime slavery. The drama is provided that the funds that were going to allow him to spring himself aren't going to arrive until like three days until he needs them. Right. So then we get in, at least to me, uh, I felt the timeline was again muddled because he talks uh, about sort of the drudgery of being there. There's, there's right. sort of an allusion to that, like as soon as, but then every night when I went to bed, you know, I would fake my image up there. He's lying in some sort of coffin thing, like a very small, you get the impression of, um, you know, like Kramer's drawer full of uh, <laughs> Japanese tourists or something, yeah, right? Or like, you, well, yeah, one of those commuter pods that businessmen in, in Asia will sleep yeah, in. Yeah, he talks about how, something. yeah, he, he barely has room to move. He, um, you know, switches on a thing and night vision goes on and watches him, but he has tricked the system. Yes, um, he's, he goes to great, great uh, efforts to describe this plan um, when any earlier in the book, he would have said, uh, yeah, you remember how in speed they uh, rigged the camera? So it was yep. just showing them that it's, it's that they did that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so he works. That he's... Yeah. So he talks about uh, working. um uh, toiling every night when he goes to bed. And then he says, uh, within this sequence, he says he felt like a prisoner in an old prison, yes. a convict in an old prisoner movie. Yet in this, again, he couldn't come up with a cla classic right. 80s example. Yes. <laughs> and he, he also couldn't. watched classic movies from the 40s, remember, which every other one was a prison movie. Yes. And there, I'm sure that, though, I'm sure that's a cliche from everything else. The most popular and highest rated movie of all time on the IMDb involves that exact exact thing. It's it's very much associated with the Shawshank Redemption, which clearly Wade would have memorized. So, right. But come to find out, he hasn't been you know locked in this uh, sub basement uh, lifestyle, this 
dungeon. He hasn't been spooning out little bits of earth, so to speak, uh, with his spoon, as he references at one point, for mm-hmm. years in that sort of uh, the the bizarre tension that happens in all of these movies where, oh my gosh, will I be discovered? Will years of my work go away? No, this is like nope. day two. Right, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> We didn't we didn't get much of this before, but evidently he is a, a world class hacker. He's this is <laughs> something that in between games of uh Pong and the Smurfs Atari game, he's developed these amazing internet busting skills. And well like, Yeah, there was the family ties where Mallory did bust <laughs> yes, out of that right. Supermax <laughs> prison with a spoon. <laughs> But like, I don't know if you've ever uh, installed a weird custom firmware on something like I've I have done it before. And even if you have followed like directions to a T, like I, I rigged my uh, Wii so that it could play old Nintendo games. Mm-hmm. And it's this nail biting process of like every other line is like you will brick your system if you don't do this immediately <laughs> right. in all caps. Like do not do this. Like t- I'd turn back if I were you. And so it's like I'm an intelligent person and I am capable of doing this. And I was just like pacing as I do these things. It was not a very easy thing to do. And yet this dipshit walks in here and is all of a sudden like click, click, click. We're in into the uh, the most you know, sophisticated yes. bit of software <laughs> ever created in human history. Uh, yep. Uh, yep. And so it's, you know, there, we've done many movies where there's hacking scenes, um, all stuff like that. And it's impossible to to maintain any sort of tension or drama with that because it's just a guy typing. And um, yep. even when they do do a, a, a crappy visual representation of hacking in and then files, you know, transferring, it just it looks fake when they do that. So uh, my favorite hacking scene is in uh, Swordfish where Hugh Jackman is like, oh, yeah. Uh, He's like smoking cigs and like, you know, spinning around in his chair and like pumping his fist at things. It's a really great scene. But <laughs> so even when you try to make it look interesting, it ends up looking comical. So, yeah. And he um, uh, he also I, I swear I would I swore I would get back to this. The uh, reference to Brazil, he says, okay. and this struck me as funny, sort of weird. He says he's also creating non-existent employees to ship stuff to. So he obviously has a fair amount of freedom where he can just walk over to other cubicles and put on a fake mustache and go, yeah, I'm Jim, you know, whatever. (laughs) And he doesn't really paint a picture of this, but he says he, uh, and also it was a, you know, a kind of a parenthetical, like, then I slipped on this, which I had, you know, obviously had shipped to a fake employee. (laughs) And then the name was parenthetical, Sam Lowry. And and, (laughs) And I thought that was so funny because it was in parentheses. And then I just realized, right. oh, obviously this is a, a wink and a nod. Like, there's no reason to do this. And that is the main character in Brazil. Oh, wow. Although it's spelled differently. But I just thought, that is the mm. clumsiest way to go. Yeah, it's I'm doing a Brazil a thing here, folks. In parentheses. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It is like it's putting Brazil reference in a footnote. Yeah. Why he didn't say like that classic movie from the 80s, Brazil. What is his? Why not do that? That's hilarious. Uh, And yeah, there was another thing as as he's hacking and stuff. We talked about the the delay in uh, consequences earlier. This was one that struck me as really good. Uh, He's 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 hacking and he says, I uncovered a restricted area called the star chamber. It was the only area of the database I couldn't seem to access. 
So I used my admin ID to create a new test account, then gave that account super user access and full administrative privileges. It worked, and I was granted access. So, like, there's not even a time to, like, pause no. and, like, take the deep breath of shock that he's not going to be able to do this. You just, you, yeah, you really feel like he didn't want to go through the trouble of then describing another couple days, you know, before he... <laughs> Got in, or some tension of someone going, "What's going on here, right. fake, fake guy? Oh, what are you doing? Oh no, now I was really caught. I quickly right. well, did." Well, that does happen. A woman texts him as he's as he's walking out to tell him his ear is bleeding, and he just says, "Oh, thanks." Yeah, he leaves. That was a, that was another moment. So I don't know if you thought that the uh, that you know him being able to just get boots of speed or a teleporting, you know earring to make his fake spaceship travel those uh those were even even rendered more uh, drama free by just hacking um yeah in fact mike you may wa uh, you may even want to call him a uh a deus ex hackina i hello yeah hello anyone i'm back <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> and uh yeah but uh um, oh, but so, yeah, he gets into the uh, the files and he was able to find all the information about people. And the first thing he does is um, look up Artemis's real uh, persona, which is a very moving scene it, um, it is. <laughs> because he finds out that Artemis uh, look does, in fact, look exactly like her avatar. <laughs> so except. Yeah, except, except for, for a, a a a red wine or port port wine birthmark that's on one side of her face yep she's got kind of a gorbachev thing going so she, yeah so she puts her hair uh over over it kind of her eye uh veronica <laughs> lake style am i right connor hello is <laughs> is anybody there <laughs> uh yes um so yeah, but she's so he was right in his uh, assessment of people which he did somewhat haphazardly um, I always got the feeling that his uh, his or her avatar looked exactly like the person, and but he was very inconsistent on that, and it turns out in every case he was pretty much right. Right, and so he he says that the face I saw in the photo seemed even more beautiful to me than that of her avatar because I knew this one was real. So he's like entering into the realm of we called it performative atheism in the very beginning of the book. He's going into like performative nice guyness. Yeah. In this section where it like, you know, if, if you doubted that he was going to end up finding her beautiful, you know, no matter what or in spite of her flaws, like this is just um, him going sort of above and beyond to, you know, sure. OK, fine. That's you, you can you can do that. But it, it struck me as just a very here I am like I, I'm accepting of this, you know, of this flaw. Look at me. Like, yeah. Kind of yeah. He's trying to. um in the the classic uh, movie parlance, he's trying to save the cat, but you're supposed to do that in Act One, not Act <laughs> Seven or whatever the hell we're in right now, right. <laughs> because we've already shown that he's an antisocial dick, and yes, then this exactly. is supposed to be his redeeming uh, quality here. Right, um, it's, and it's, it's it's still fueled by horniness, you know. It's, it's yeah. I don't think he would have found her more beautiful if she turned out to be, um, you know, uh, a dude with a flat top that played. Uh, tight end in college football yeah if if he if she was in fact harry knuckled chuck which he constantly referenced what would then what 
I guess, you know, if he was a truly progressive dude, he'd have to say I was every bit as much in love with right. Harry yes. Knuckle Chuck as I ever was before. Well, we will get to that because that, uh, it rears it. Yes, head. indeed. That's but, a uh, trick he goes to. Let me just point out this little detail about when he discovers the plot as he opens up the files of all the other, his Gunter friends, our main heroes. He says he sat there in stunned silence. <laughs> so usually, now keep in mind, we already knew they were trying to kill them. These people are all on the run from right. them because they are actively they trying to kill them. Attempted murder of one and literal murder of another. Yes. But he says he discovers this plot. And so when he sees <laughs> it, he sits there and stunned silent. So usually he chatters away to himself in his coffin while he's watching this stuff. But also right, he is. He's going Hugh Jackman style. He's being like, come yeah. on, come on, come on, come on. Yes. Yes. But then in his coffin, he also managed to sit up for this. I just noted that. <laughs> He's laying down in his little bed, you know, pretending to be asleep. But for this one, he sat in stunned silence. So, Oh, man. Well, yeah, so he's, uh, you know, he, he, he keeps hacking and he, he gets a new ankle bracelet that he, he gives Mr. Mr. Tuttle as another identity that he takes. Also from it... Brazil, yes. Okay, wonderful. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> why does he I, tell us that in this one that's i had to yeah i guess it just it well i there's a phrase we could use to identify this but i i'll, I'll spare us having to say it um but people will get it um he says uh mr tuttle uh i'd given the official mr tuttle complete access to the entire building then reprogrammed my indent ankle so that it was encoded with the encoded with the tuttle id making it function just like one of the security bracelets the maintenance techs wore uh, which is high drama um, as he just <laughs> flawlessly does this thing. Uh, but I just wondered why was, if this was information that he just sort of bought for, you know, a relative pittance since he's using a, uh, he once again said a meager salary. Why is this just not something that everyone is doing, changing your ID, ID and um, hacking and doing this all the time. It seems like there's just nothing stopping anybody from doing all of this in the real world. And the world should be chaos and, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he, uh, I guess they just don't have a login to uh, the elite sucks or warehouse or whatever the hell that's called. Sure. Or the yeah, hacker he's waiting warehouse. on the invite from like a guy on a, right, exactly. invite uh, only. an IRC channel. Um, <laughs> yeah. well, the other thing that I thought of, of this, uh, he takes off the, uh, ankle bracelet finally, and he notes that he has abraded red skin underneath there, which mm -hmm. was a brand new, brand new word to me. Um, it's another case of the uh, the legalese word that came up in the last uh, the last segment. But yeah, I think sometimes he does dive to the thesaurus and and tries to find uh, you know something to give it a little more pizzazz. But he, he does it so infrequently. Um, he should have. I I mean, I didn't know what he was talking about because it wasn't referencing a movie where someone <laughs> yeah. had a red circle under their ankle bracelet. So, <laughs> um, but then he ends up getting the hell out of Dodge uh, for the third time. Yep, uh, that's he, and he, he he does actually say it. Get the hell yeah. out of Dodge. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, uh, but uh, before what... he does, though, remember you referenced it earlier. He so I didn't really understand what was happening, but the the gear that he had to wear was sort of stapled into his head. Yeah, right? or riveted. And the... Yeah, I didn't. I guess I, I either glossed that over or didn't realize what was going on. So, how does that work? Is it just like? You get, the, you get them like earrings or something, and they're just always in there, jammed into your ears? 
yeah, I guess it was sort of just a wearable implant on the first, um, you know, when he went through that weird delousing chamber and stuff, they, they stuck those onto you as well. It doesn't seem like a thing that would, um, stop many people from, <laughs> you know, like people play with their earlobes all the time with right. gauges and shit like that. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal to just go, this is annoying as hell. I'm just going to rip them out of my head. Then what right. are they going to do? Now I just have a big red sore there. They can't attach them there, you know, so. I don't know. Anyway, that just struck me as odd. (laughs) Well, so he does get the hell out and he uh, immediately heads to a uh, mailbox, et cetera, store. Yeah. UPS store, mailboxes, et cetera, which is (laughs) which is unmanned. It's just a and he uh, and uh, uh, what's his name from uh, Shawshank Redemption style. We now learned we he had all this other things stashed there. Sure. He had, a, he had a top of the line rig that he had bought on his meager salary yep. that was stashed there. Um, he didn't have a full haptic suit, but he had some sort of he introduces some new clothes that are like partially haptic that you can wear in order to still make some movements. I guess he had a name for it. I didn't write it down. Yeah. It's too in late, case too late you know, in the book for this kind of bullshit. Right. In case he wanted to go into a, a chat link and have his transparent avatar available. <laughs> I mean, you need to you need to have that there. Um, but then, yeah, so he, he goes to a clothing store, I guess, or the plug first, the, yeah, he he gets the rig and then he heads to the clothing store. And, uh, this I noted was a very funny, again, this is one of those, you tell me whether this is supposed to be funny or not. All right. He goes to a store called threads spelled with a, uh, three, the numeral three in the place of the E that's a a tick of his. Sure. He buys his stuff, leaves, and says he uh, exited the store dressed in his new threads without the three spelling. <laughs> and now this wow. is my guess, that that's not supposed to be funny because he would have spelled it the same. And uh, I suspect that he only knows two words for clothing. And so he just... Right. Well, he it could be it. like the, the Threads Corporation could be like Google or Xerox where they have like a lengthy series of like uh usage things that they distribute to the media where yeah, it's like listen be. you don't google something you run a google branded search yeah uh, to find that information um yeah so, uh, kleenex we do not like it is a kleenex yes. tissue uh, uh tissue uh, brand yes. yes so so maybe he's just respecting uh, the well-known edicts that they've put out <laughs> to the post-apocalyptic society well, good on him then i really like that <laughs> but then yeah then he goes to the uh sort of internet cafe called the plug uh, which he um, is aware of because even though they've got outdated equipment and stuff, they have connections that were supposed to be fast, reliable, and lag-free, which seems like every connection he encounters has not been a bad connection. There's never been a time where been he's a been a stutter daunting. or a pixelation or anything. Right. It's been seamless, smooth as glass everywhere right. he's gone. <laughs> which is fortunate because the, the sort of the plot of the book depends on that. But um, yes. I just noted that there's never he, – he moved across the country in order to get these uh, – fancy connections when the ones seem to be doing just fine. Maybe it's just, you know, upgrading syndrome that these geeks have. They always want something better. Right. Um, but so he meets like a mohawked, uh, you know, sullen guy uh, who rents him a serious rig for uploading, but he tells him. Ah, uh, oh, yes, I, I have like, this written down. <laughs> he's like, hey, man, do you have the exact phrasing? I do. Uh, he tells him that he has to keep his deposit if there's a mess in the bay. Uh, vomit, urine, semen. That kind of thing. <laughs> you pretty, yeah, you've hit the highlights there. I mean, uh, but right. are there any more only, I could? Uh... 
The trifecta, I mean, one of them, you know, unfortunately has to be a bit more common, I would hope. Like, <laughs> unless, yeah, unless you're doing some, yeah, you know, I, I'd put them in reverse order, I would guess. I I'm, I just would have laughed out loud if he had if had some follow-up questions. Uh, yeah. So, like, earwax. Eh, I'll usually take care of that. Uh, what, any what's the kind diameter, of... diameter on the semen puddle where it crosses into full <laughs> deposit keeping? Like, yeah. Uh, and you didn't say anything about number two, so I'm just going to, uh, <laughs> right, yeah. look, come on, pal, don't bust my balls. Monitors wipe down pretty easily, so that should not be the same if it's on there as <laughs> if it is on the chair, because that's going to stain, obviously. <laughs> oh, man. Um, lot yeah, of, so, lot of rig talk. I would just note that chapter. I just kept, we kept going from rig to rig. <laughs> it is full of it. And if there's one thing that I can really take away from this we've had a lot of fun doing this a lot of people have enjoyed listening to it but the parlance of hell of a rig if there's if there's one thing that we've contributed <laughs> it is that people have people have attached that and people have seen that cow image so it's it's all been worth it for that to me ah <laughs> oh, you finally your dream realized <laughs> yes, <Connor>. exactly yeah <laughs> the long con um so he logs in and he's he's about to um he's going to do some some serious uploading of his zettabyte. I didn't even look up what that was. I just figured yeah, it was I figured you know, he, the next yeah. step up from you know, terabyte or two steps up. Who cares? Yeah. Um, but then he's going to log into his H's um, basement where the rest of the remaining high five are waiting for him. Mm-hmm. And, and so he, he gets there and he's. Um, sort of explaining him. He, he does a condensed version of his hacking exploits. Um, which he tells to a rapt audience. He says, he even says, Shoto looked at me in awe as he yeah. finishes detailing. <laughs> like, so yeah, I went there and then I, uh, I, I, I faked a requisition form uh, and get this Shoto. Uh, uh, I used the name of one of the characters from Brazil. Um, oh yeah. Like how are you holding up after your uh, best friend got thrown off that roof, by the way? Um, <laughs> no, nope. Instead they're all, there, there's like three high fives and fist bumps and everything as he yes. describes each utterly mundane step in this routine that we all already saw. Already have heard, yeah. yes. Um, yeah, and so he's he's still like sort of doing the uh, the the goggle eyed like banging himself on a head with a cartoon mallet thing about Artemis, like you know, stammering over his words. Um, Which she is furious. Yes, he peeked great. into her file to yes. find the plot against her, which she already knew. And, um, but then that is dissipated one sentence later. She, yes. Oh yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> she, she seems just on this horrible roller coaster of emotions. She's like, you couldn't resist looking at them. And then H says, chill out. He probably saved your life. She seemed to consider this fine. <laughs> like, what, what, what hadn't you considered about that? Like you've, you fled your house to a, uh, I don't remember what city she's in. She's some, you know, but she's in a public internet cafe having left behind everything she did without saying goodbye. But she's like not considered the implications of what it took to get her there. Oh, yes. she does that throughout the scene. Um, uh, towards the end of it, she sort of is, uh, Wade is going to send out this email to everybody, um, warning every gunter about this and stuff. And then, so he explains this whole thing and she's like, you're right. That email just might work. Next paragraph. But how many of them will actually fight? Most of them are probably just going to set up lawn chairs and eat popcorn while they watch us get our asses kicked. It's like, so is it going to work or not? Like, oh, what that, the that, hell is... that is even more up and down than that. Then later, yeah. Yeah. La- later yeah. on, can I skip ahead? Because it's Go right ahead. on this. He said, yeah. cause we still have more. We're not out of the, uh, the, the no. basement yet. Yeah. Um, 
So the, the huge part of the plan hinges on him sending out an email to all the other Gunters to join them for this battle to try to get rid of the dome that the IOI has set up to protect the castle. You know the drill. <laughs> and uh, and then he says, oh, but most of them will get caught up in people's spam filters. So I also posted them on the, on the boards. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why didn't you mention this earlier? Maybe that's a deep flaw. First of all, they may read it and laugh at it. And th- that's fully acknowledged. Yeah, sure. That's a, that could happen. And also it could just get in their spam filter. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got an email like yesterday from a uh, place in Montreal where I bought like cooking spices from two years ago. You know, if you, if you swipe your credit card through Square sometimes, you unknowingly get entered into that. So that made it through my spam filter. But an email from an actual person warning you about the uh, impending apocalypse, that's going to still be tripped up by a spam filter in the... <laughs> Three decades from now. Can I just ask, Connor, are, are you buying Montreal steak seasoning directly from Montreal? Is that you got to the... go to the source. <laughs> okay. It's the uh, <laughs> smuggling it across the border is what makes it taste better. <laughs> it was that. We did We did buy it and uh, bought a, a Korean spice rub. It was a cool place. They're inexpensive. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, but you bought the Korean spice from the same place, huh? You didn't go yes. to Korea for that? You no, I, I, I... You cultural appropriator. I failed in my spice gunting. Um, but yeah, so even after Artemis says that, she sort of does this whole like wild mood swing and stuff. And then her, she, she ends by saying, you two are actually going to go along with this? As if there's uh, it just they, they've spent the whole time talking about the plan and being like going ready to go out the door. And then she has that sort of. Um, so he loves this wildly unstable, sour woman um, <laughs> because she you know has a you know, mild birth uh, mark on her face. So yeah, uh, she sort of toys with him during all those chats earlier. She disappears for weeks. She leaves him in the uh, zero gravity uh, punk dance hall, whatever that was. She gives him the finger as he's standing outside her uh, planet, holding up a boom box for three consecutive hours. (laughs) But yeah. But so then they all sit. So the five of them sit, well, four, I guess, right? Four of them. Yeah. uh, And watch the video as, uh, Sorrento inside the uh, what's the castle called? Cathonia yeah. or whatever. Yeah, I, I sure. Anorax Castle. Yeah. Um, um, they have the key, but they can't open it. So they sit there and sort of mock him for uh, as he tries there because they're looking from the stolen files. They're seeing the recording of Sorrento trying to break through this gate. Right. And uh, he tries once. And they, he kind of describes in like a small paragraph how he, he turned the key to the right and then he <laughs> said the words or whatever. And then uh, the, the video cuts and then he describes the next paragraph where he turns the key then to the left. And the other direction. Really, yes, clever best. Thank you for that description. I assume he, he jiggled it both ways. So yeah. we don't need to. You know. He pulled it out and blew on it like a Nintendo cartridge just to make sure there wasn't any graphite on it or anything. And then, but uh, Shoto, I remember, I don't have it written down, but he gets off a good one in that one because he said, oh, next, they're mocking him. He goes, next, he'll be poking his pinky finger in it. And then Shoto goes, uh, yeah, that's probably going to be his next move. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's 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 what I was implying. You're dead weight, Shoto. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so they are are, are observing him and they realize that there is a clue on the actual like arch above the door where um, it says uh, charity, hope and faith. Mm -hmm. And so they're trying to sort of piece where that came from and. Um, uh, H gets a really good one off because they're thinking that maybe it came from 
Corinthians, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because <laughs> those words are mentioned in it, and they're also the names of saints or something. But but H uh, H sort of uh, strokes his goatee and goes, "Morons! Halliday was an atheist," <laughs> which is just, as again, it's just something that you put in there in order to in order to uh, just you know, set up that that clever jibe. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because uh, atheists often don't, uh, you know, know about religion and run away from it. No, they're usually right. completely ignorant of it. Regardless of what you believe, it's probably influenced, like, you know, that's probably where the thing that ends up coming from probably got it from. Like, yeah, yes. it's been around a little bit longer than uh, um, the movies from the 40s that you occasionally watch. But anyway, they they end up determining what it was, and it turns out that it's a schoolhouse rock song from the uh, popular 1980s year of 1973. <laughs> classic 80s which is just uh pick and choose and so you know sure i guess if these were airing during saturday morning cartoons they probably aired for a while longer but it just sort of he's not playing by his own rules yeah i found that to be just that was a head slapper like oh for god's sake especially when it was followed up with um uh the the import that they put on it so again this is again oh, i don't yeah. know if he's trying to be funny but this is artemis he says about them not knowing this dilettante artemis said yes. it's their own fault for not knowing all the schoolhouse rock lyrics by heart how did those fools even get this far yes like, he says well, what and then he says by cheating remember and she says oh that's right i keep forgetting she grinned at me and i felt my knees go all rubbery <laughs> Because she's a dumbass who co- isn't aware of the settings of this thing that she's devoted the past six years of her life to. It's um, uh. but but let me go back to it. Do you think that he meant this? It to me is almost impossible that it not be meant as satire. And yet I can't give him that credit. It's their own fault for not knowing all the schoolhouse rock lyrics by heart. Now, if he hadn't uh, memorized everything that he's ever mentioned before. Right. Um, then I would think that, well, maybe that's a, a clever line on how, you know, pop obsessed everyone is. And I'm sure there are many theories that that's the whole point of the book, man. You're missing it. We're all dead to what's real because we're doing this <laughs> stuff. But you can't have it both ways is all I'm saying. Right. And we've also established that they do have a, uh, you know, team of hundreds working on this. So it's, it's silly to assume that anyone would not memorize this because they just have you know, if they'd see those words and it would be like, all right, army of 48 guys, like get to work Googling every single combination of that. Um, yeah. And I'm sure there's an algorithm to just like search those words and, and cross reference them against everything in all of right. history. And so <laughs> that would have popped up and they would have right. tried that. So, um, I, um, yeah. So I, I don't know. Dilettantes was I, 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 another word that sort of seemingly came out of nowhere, but yeah, for him. I mean, you know, let's let's be honest. I think if you ran this through one of those, uh, you know, what are those crude things where they look at word length? We were talking about that before uh-huh. um, and and patterns and everything. I, I think you'd say this was like a third Raise or, a red flag. Sure. Well, third or fourth grade level. And then so the word dilettantes and stuff coming up is just a little <laughs> it just seems like occasionally he does reach for a thesaurus or something. Yeah. Um, but it, the uh, the scene where they sort of. Um, puzzle out the schoolhouse rock where they're all sort of uh they're saying a sentence and then you know the camera is panning and the other one's completing the thought as their their smiles grow on their faces um it comes up later uh when he recites his password and it's a a tribute to the movie sneakers um, which i hadn't thought about in a long time but that was one of the first movies that i saw like 
you know, saw it in the theater, saw it later in life and was like, boy, this is actually very bad. Um, <laughs> and that's all, the only thing I remember. Well, I remember two things about it. One of them is I think about it every time I go over a bridge where Robert Redford was in the trunk of a car mm-hmm. and he was able to simulate the, uh, the, um, sound of the tires going over like the bolts in the bridge. And they were able to determine what bridge he was in in San Francisco based on that, which mm-hmm. is a, it, it, it fits in well in this universe, yeah. <laughs> this impossible task. That anyone who was drugged and beaten in the back of a car would be attuned to what the bridge sounded like. Right. But the other thing I remember is that they solve a lot of puzzles essentially by, you know, the camera pans to Robert Redford. And he's like, it was it was foggy last night. Dan Aykroyd's like one of those bridges would have been in the fog. And it pans to uh, Sidney Poitier in that. And they just sort of finish each other's sentences in that way. So maybe mm-hmm. this is a subtle tribute to the. Uh, 1989 techno thriller sneakers. Yes, yes. Well, the password reference also had Tron in it, so it's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to tease out which one is uh, <laughs> is taking over at any given point. Um, but then a huge, huge, shocking revelation. Yes. In their secure, is this is a chat room, right? Not a chat link. Not a chat link. No chat room. God, Mike. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Well, this deep in the book and I'm 240 still... pages into this book. I know, I know. I'm sorry. I didn't have that window open in my, uh, <laughs> in my goggles to uh, see that. Um, he spent three pages describing the differences <laughs> for not, uh, Connor, uh, drum roll and, and who appears <laughs> the great and powerful. Augie, Augie, Augie. Augie. Oi, 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 oi. <laughs> yes. Uh, Og. Halliday's business partner and friend, we learn. Yes. He's been there uh, before. He knocked over a uh, thing of video game manuals or something, and uh, no one thought anything of it. But it turns out that he has a, his own ability to hack the system. He's a super user in this system, and that means he can do whatever he wants. So that's really fun, too, because the rules don't matter at all. And what he wants to do is spy on 17-year-old chat rooms, <laughs> says Og. And yes. so he does well, indeed. Spy, spy on 17-year-old uh, chat rooms and uh, browse vintage role-playing game supplements, <laughs> yes. which he walks over to that shelf and does, again, for the third time in the book. Someone has browsed vintage role-playing game supplements on a shelf full of them. Oh, man. So uh, speaking of uh, Deus Ex Hakana, he... <laughs> appears yes. and tells them so they already have their plan formulated um to to take the gate which is covered again by these domes they are sending out the email they're going to gather all the gunters um and uh parsival parsival i don't know yeah. whatever wade <laughs> uh wade has uh pre-programmed a uh, uh the shields disintegrating at a certain point and so that plan is already in place, and the Gunters are going to come in. But Og comes in and says he wants to uh, help them out to keep the game fair. Yes, that's his. Uh, so he he appears as a uh, Deus Ex referee, kind of in right. this this last moment. He's not really necessary to the plot, which is why I thought it was sort of a it's less of a gaspy moment because they've already he set up the tension that they're going to do this big battle, and they hope that everyone gets there. So it's right. kind of like Gandalf riding in when we had forgotten yeah, that Gandalf so. was in the film at all. <laughs> it's like, oh, Gandalf, that's right. You're here. And I will help you. Oh, okay. I mean, I think we're good. But, but yeah. yeah, this is it's nice. I appreciate yeah, better the better with gesture. you than without you. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. We're, so we're all, you know, we're slightly more happy about this. But uh, where did you come from? I don't know. Tell me after the battle. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Exactly. 
So he offers to um, fly them to his estate. Speaking of Gandalf and Tolkien, and uh, he sends private jets for them, and uh, and they head off to his estate. Well, not all of them are in private <laughs> jets, isn't that right, Connor? Yeah, no, some of them are. Uh, they have to be uh, in the RV first, um, and that's going to be. Uh, H is going to come and pick up uh, Wade himself. And so that may be the whole reason for this is that uh, Og shows up so that they can meet each other in person um, because it's one of the uh, biggest shocks of the book so far when Wade finally gets to meet H in the flesh. Yes. Reveal it. Go ahead. This is another, this is two huge reveals in almost as many pages. Right. Uh, so it turns out that H is not the uh, bro he thought he was. She is a uh, fat African-American lesbian. Yes, and gee, I, I think she uses the word. He, she corrects him and says, "Fat black chick," right? Fat black chick, sure. Yeah. All right. So, so that that's, is, that's the, the table. Yep, that's the book's um, words, not ours. Um. So yeah, he's she's she's the opposite of everything that he thought. Um. So it gives him another opportunity to sort of. Uh, wrestle with how he feels about this. Um, well, one thing and, remains constant with this uh, uh, large African American woman and her avatar, H, and that constancy <laughs> is the Cheshire grin. Yes, it's there in real life too. Yes, so she has uh, elements of herself in the uh, avatar of H. Um, but he's, you know, he's he's comforted by the grin, but it, it quickly. He uh, he quickly says that the shock gave way to a sense of betrayal. How could he, she, deceive me all these years? Yeah, Which one wonders like, that. You just yes, you stroke your head and be like, how many times? Yes. Like, just the running theme of the, uh, I don't know. Like You have what, posited this a dozen times yourself, sir. Right? Yes. Um and so, and then he sort of says, like, you know, mom used H's mom. He's given the backstory. She used a white male avatar because of the marked difference it made in how she was treated and the opportunities she was given. And we sort of said this early on when he's talking to Artemis. It's like, why would everyone not be a, you know, we we said a a hot chick or or you know, oh, a white person like what it. Unless everyone is a titanic dumbass like Wade who assumes that everyone looks like what they look like despite yes. decades of contrariness. Why would these old prejudices exist? It's, it, it doesn't make any sense. I thought um, H's mom got some pretty unfair treatment. Uh, she's introduced <laughs> to like, my mom did this and this to kind of, uh, you know, to protect me, blah, blah, blah. And then. Uh, but then when I told her about my sexuality or whatever, which we, this is the first, we're all hearing of it, you know, yeah. I was like, she, uh, uh, you know, she was not for, she kicked me out. So it turns out my mom has this pretty prejudiced herself. Like we just met mom. Do we have to turn her into a monster immediately? <laughs> she raised and protected her daughter. Like she's a bigot. <laughs> gave her the good advice. Yeah. To give the, uh, give her the, um, white guy avatar and stuff. Uh, I just felt <laughs> bad for uh two sentence mom there. That's all. Right. It is sort of like the, uh, the ants, you know, like every, every person that someone lives with in this book is a, is a wretched person. Who's a rolled doll, uh, a rolled doll villain. Right. Uh, but I did notice something about the physical description of H that, uh, okay. I, I found curious. Um, uh, she had like jeans on and a t-shirt or something. And she had, uh, he described her dark or chocolate skin or something, and then yes. says H has had kinky hair. And I, I said to myself, well, what? That must be hell when she gets in and out of rigs, huh? 
<laughs> Isn't everybody else is all uh, clean yeah, shaven they've gone, and they've gone powdery and uh, yeah, I guess she's maintaining. I she guess who she wasn't as committed to the to the cause of not having to spend the ten seconds a day washing your hair. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but it just struck me. Whoa, because how how did the sensors uh, you know get past the the hair? And I, I don't know. He said that it didn't work well if you had. So he just got rid of it, and most everyone does. Right. So but, well, um, Artemis doesn't because she puts it over her uh, her birthmark too. I guess they don't. So when they're doing anything that, like, if they're walking through a waterfall to find the twenty one twelve guitar and stuff, then the uh, the water doesn't hit them on the head like a bundle of sticks. I don't know how they. How Maybe they... he read some some weird like four hour gunting blog uh, that was like, listen, like you're you're a total idiot if you don't shave your entire body hair in order to do this. And so he did it and then was like, wait, we're all not doing this? Like, oh, God, I've been following one of the weird blogs. And then like... all, the, all the gunters switch on the light right at that moment. <laughs> you shaved the, your body. The, the rest of you are storing your, your urine in jars, though, right? Like that was the... Or... I'm sure it was um, just maybe if you want to get that last 2% out of your H1000 rig, you know, right. so that was it. He's just more committed. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but then, so he's sort of, he's, he's puzzling about H and stuff, but he's, he's very quickly realizes that, um, he's still like his, this is his, his soulmate. And he says, I realize that we already did know each other as well as any two people could. We'd known each other for years in the most intimate way possible. We'd connected on a purely mental level. I under, <laughs> I understood her, trusted her and loved her as a dear friend. And so I just want to, uh, I want to refresh your memory about, um, about some of their most intimate ways, their connection on a purely mental level where they've established trust and love. Um, oh, man, I wish I had some of that uh, tender, like, sitcom <laughs> music as, as yes, we flashback uh, to a friendship. But, uh, yeah, give so it here to we go. us. Blow me, H. How many times <laughs> have you seen that sap fest? I know you've made me sit through it at least twice. He was baiting me now. He knew Lady Hawk was one of my guilty pleasures and that I'd seen it over two dozen times. I was doing you a favor by making you watch it, noob, I said, shoving a new cartridge into the Intellivision console and starting up a single-player game of Astro Smash. You'll thank me one day. Wait and see. Lady Hawk is canon. Surely you must be joking. No, I am not joking, and don't call me Shirley. There's no way There's no way Halliday was a fan of Lady Hawk. I guarantee it. Where's your proof, dipshit? Oh, That's man. The, you can feel That's... the love. I trusted trust he her loves... more than anyone. <laughs> he loves her brain. Uh, here's another one. Uh, this is this is him talking about uh, once he's discovered he's going to have to play Joust. Uh, he says, I finally got good enough to beat H repeatedly and cons- consistently. Then I began to gloat over him, savoring my revenge. The last time we'd played, I'd rubbed his nose in defeat so mercilessly that he'd flipped out and vowed never to play me again. Ah, uh, so feel, joust- feel the love. His Joust mockery is just sort of that... Uh, uh, brotherly love. That's that they the talk kind of about. things. Oh yes, that is uh, definitely that's the philos, the <laughs> the love that is as strong as erotic right. love, but it's just even deeper. Those guys who were, uh, um, you know, storming the beach at Normandy when they were on the boats, they were being like, you know, we marry few. Uh, this is sort of what they were, what they were united by. This, this. Uh, calling each other crap burgers and stuff like that. Yeah, but you you know that that's what he was trying to get to. That's that that's the kind of depth he was looking for there. It's and it's you know and I guess you know she she is a lesbian because you have you have to avoid that um minefield of like well why doesn't he love this person? So he just he's like no, we're taking it off the table. Uh he loves the uh hot chick with the birthmark versus the uh 
fat black chick because she couldn't like that's you know right. the one he relates to very well and spends all his time hanging out with so he just uh he, he made that impossible but if you if you really wanted to go go further with this like okay make it a woman go ahead and keep it a lesbian make her 65 years old and a chain sure. smoker and, <laughs> and you know chains on her uh on her belt loops and uh, you know smoking and hey so you're the you're uh you're parzival huh it's yeah. good to meet you i loved <laughs> i loved her as much as i ever <laughs> loved anyone <laughs> but oh. no no she's much more uh, lovable in person thank god for him well, um, I want to uh, I want to share a very thorough and, and uh, detailed email we got. So, can we hit the theme music for that? Yes, indeed. We're going to the party. We're going to the game. We're going to the dance. We're going to cruise out, man. We're stealing people's mail. Stealing people's mail. Stealing people's mail. All right, let's uh, steal some people's mail. What do you got for I'm us? I'm happy to steal this one because this one is a really good email, uh, stuff that I didn't notice. Um, but it's from Melody F., who has been uh, – uh, wanted to comment on Ernest Klein's complete failure to grasp how linear time works, uh, which is something we talked about earlier. Um, yeah. But this is uh, from this chapter when Wade meets H. So I'm just going to read it. Uh, Klein has Wade describe H as a young woman about my age, so we can assume – late teens to the very early 20s, since Wade is 18 at this point. A few pages later, when they reach the Columbus airport, H is nervous about leaving her RV since it had been her home for many years. Those two data points tell me that H has lived in the RV since maybe her mid-teens. Yet on the next page, H reveals she's only a few months older than Wade, so she's barely 18 or 19, barely 19 or 18. Um, so she's 19 years old, has been living in the RV, moving from place to place for many years. So Manny is... Three at the most, assuming that you still need a driver's license in this dystopian post-apocalyptic future. Mm -hmm. So so it's very confusing, but it doesn't seem to add up. And then it keeps going. But wait, H told me that she hadn't seen or spoken to her mother since leaving home on her 18th birthday. Plus she was, <laughs> plus she was homeless for a little while, living in shelters until she earned enough money to buy her RV. So between the date of her 18th birthday and the day she met Wade, which is at the most a year and a half, but probably just under a single year, H has been living in her RV for many years. <laughs> That's great. And then she, Melody says, well, at least it explains how Wade had the time to watch, read, listen, play, and memorize everything he did in the post-apocalyptic yet functional future. Years are at least a thousand days long. Wow. But yeah, I hadn't really registered with me because I think my eyes had glossed over by this point in time. But yeah, there doesn't really make any sense there, uh, given his own... Um, his own little universe. It would have been very easy to add that up and make her 22, but uh, whatever. Yep. He, uh, he's not into time all that much, obviously. Um, yeah. So he, we went from there. We end up at Augs, um, Augs estate, which has um, a great introduction. Yes. I have it uh, written down. If you don't there, this was a, uh, a, a contender for the uh, dumb sentence of the week. Yeah, um, I have it. Do you, do you? It's not in yours, is it? No, a reader sent it in though. Benedict sent it in uh, before I even had read it, so I was I was prepared for it. But. Okay, I have it tagged as dumb sentence of the week. I, I mean, I hope this is the same one. I assume it is. Yeah. So a description, a physical description, sort of loosely of mountains and and uh, and waterfalls and things like that. Um, uh, in in Seattle or thereabouts, right? Somewhere, uh, somewhere in Oregon, I think. Oregon, Rural, okay. Oregon. Um, and so they, they approach the house, H and, uh, and, uh, Wade, and it looks just like Rivendell, H said. I nodded. 
It looks exactly like Rivendell in the Lord of the Rings movies, I said. <laughs> and I see he omits the, uh, the, the, I assume, the action where H turns and slaps him really, really hard on the side of the ear. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's, that's omitted from this description. Yeah. I mean, I guess they just are so mentally in love and uh, connected with each other that they just sort of are not even com- completing each other's sentences. They've mo- moved on to fully just restating right. each other's sentences with added unnecessary detail. Maybe he just, he hasn't mastered the M dash where she says it looks just like Rivendell and then it's Rivendell. And then they, yeah. <laughs> he just didn't know how to do that. Uh, uh, but yeah, he's so yeah, they get to Og's place and, you know, I, I guess the book is too, there's not enough left that we can really distrust Og, but I still is like, you know, are we sure about trusting this guy? Like, um, yeah, but, weird uh, Santa Claus guy. Um, as they go into the house, though, I just want to play a quick game with you and the audience. Okay. Um, in Og's house, as he walks them in, they pass, uh, quote, row after row of blank. And and I just want you to take a guess of row after row of what? Um, oh, okay. Um, uh, he maybe has a collection of, like, uh, Matador's outfits from, like, Hemingway-era Spanish bullfighting. Mm. Like, he's... Assembled a collection of those. Yeah, that's a good. It's a good guess. No, it's not that. I would have said um, um, uh, heraldry or thing. You know, things from uh, shields and uh, collected old shields and herald heraldry and banners because his house is large and and the Rivendell description just made me think that you know I don't know maybe suits of armor and stuff like that. Um. Yeah. I, okay. Let me let me try another one. Um. He's got like. You know those like uh, Pacific Island currencies that are like giant wheels. Oh yeah, like stone. Yeah, wheels? sure. Yeah, yeah, he's sort of like he, he's got those, and maybe some uh, Easter Island statues emitted. Yeah, uh, and that makes me think also a, a thing maybe jade sculpture would fit nicely in the kind of that architecture of the. There's sort of a an, an, an Oriental, as they used to say, look to Rivendell, don't you think, with the sort of sloped roofs? Yeah, yeah, that would work through nicely. But um, also something that would cook there, and he could probably afford it, would be like a you know, an illuminated uh, manuscript like the Book of Kells, like if you sort of had that um, oh, displayed. Right, right. Like uh, with the, fan, you know, that monks did this like intricate, you know, took them a year to do each page of it type of thing. Yeah. Um, just yeah. really class up the, the house. Yeah, or he bought like the Kensington Rune Stone and he's, you know, and then he uh, allows people to take it out and study it, you know, but uh, <laughs> otherwise it's based there. And it's, what are we talking about? It's row <laughs> after row of video games, of course. Vintage video games. And they are, of course, the ones that came from Halliday, but the fact that he needed to describe it, like he can't help himself. Right, yeah, it's there. Well, you know, and, and then he's he's like, we'll, we'll we'll deal with those after you've, after you've uh, played the most epic battle in video game history, as Aug is excited to see, because um, because of course Wade wants to get in there and see the real life version of I guess the ones that he's virtually played. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but then they <sighs> share uh, before the battle begins, and we're uh, we're setting up. I think the next thing will be the battle, right? Where they're storming. Yeah, I, the, I guess it's it. The yeah. castle and the gate. He has uh, a tender moment with uh, with Aug. Where yeah, he says, he, why didn't well, Halliday talk to you for those 10 years? This is right after he geeks out on Og in a classically embarrassing fashion. Um, but he then proceeds to sort of ask why you didn't talk to him. And Og says that it uh, it came down to our shared love of my wife. It was a classic love triangle where uh, James Halliday loved her because she was the ultimate 
uh, geek girl and he couldn't have her. And, um, he sort of withdrew because of that. Yeah. Yeah. And she, uh, was in a, uh, a tombstone in like a little plot on his land yes. there in Rivendell. So we're obviously supposed to, you know, take from it, uh, Aragorn's uh, mom, you know, in the film or something like that. He goes out there every day and tenderly picks away the ivy from uh, from her <laughs> grave. <laughs> and and uh, this is the guy they're trusting, by the way. So uh, yes, <laughs> he picks it out of the ivy, then goes and uh, tries to set the high score in Robotron. <laughs> uh, so that I think it comes to a close. Do you have anything else in the actual, uh, just in in the narrative? I think that's kind of the end of it. Yeah, that's sort of where it. Well, yeah, he he wants to see uh, Artemis, and and everyone is sort of like. Being like, ooh. Oh, yeah. But he likes like, Artemis. <laughs> she's already uh, jacked into the rig, so that's going to have to wait until they're done. Um, it was an interesting choice, but whatever. Who cares at this point in time? Uh, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's set up for the all-out assault on the, uh, on the IOI and then the final gate. Yeah, and it does. Actually, uh, before we concluded that chapter, we did get one more hell of a rig reference in there. I think oh, yeah. he, he talks, of, he names well, the specific uh, rigs that he has set up in his little booths there. Uh huh. They're all top of the line, uh, like Habsburg or something like that. But, oh, man. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, no, that, you would not expect any less from the great and powerful Og. Yep. And so uh, we will conclude the book next week, but uh, obviously we've got some more things to do here, including the dumb sentence of the week. A sentence begins with a capital letter. A capital letter is a letter that's big. A capital letter is not a small letter. A capital letter is big, big, big. A sentence ends with a period or an exclamation or a question mark. A sentence always ends with a period. It's always good to remind us what a sentence is. And Ernest Klein has a lot of them, doesn't he? <laughs> Connor, a lot do of you? Them are, uh, are pretty dumb. Yes, yes I've got indeed. a, I've got a good one. All right. Uh, you know, this one is just sort of, it's its own little thing. It's, it's, it's we, there's been categories of dumb sentences, like ones that sort of gobsmack you. This one is just sort of a, how did this make it into a book? Uh, past an editor, he says this is when he's in the. Uh, in the place that he's not allowed to get semen on to upload uh, all his stuff. <laughs> sure. he, he says, I paid GSS a monthly fee for unlimited data storage on my account, and I was about to test its limits. <laughs> yes. Yeah, some, sometimes like, the banal does. I think my last uh, one that I had last week was was fairly banal, but some of the, sometimes those slap you in a way that just like, what is this? Yeah. I, yeah, there was some, you know, some good ones about hacking where they were just sort of long and, you know, dorky in terms of like supposed to create drama. But that one was just sort of like, uh, I guess you could test the limits of the connection or, you know, put their put their promise to the test. But you're not going to test its unlimited limits. Uh, OK, <laughs> and that uh, is all I'll think about that for the rest of my life. Uh, are there any from uh, from listeners? No, Benedict had sent in that uh, Rivendell one, and um, if there were any more, I don't, uh, I, I did not take them down. But uh, you're okay. welcome to hit up the next one. Yeah, mine is uh, a little more. Uh, it's one of those uh, banner ones. It's a little, uh, it's a little more hit you across the face kind of a thing. <laughs> this is going back to what was the name like Big Dick Double O Seven or whatever. Hot uh, cock. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> He Got was a little too enthusiastically. Yes. Oh wow, you had that on the tip of your tongue. He uh, uh, was a guy complaining about a magical sword or something like a big. 
Yeah, level uh, ten. Uh, yeah, that he bought, and he and, and he was a level seven, and so while he was dealing with this customer complaint as an indentured servant, um, he would uh, he would say snarky things to the people who you know these morons who would call in with problems, <laughs> and they would be censored by the software, and and then he'd be given a warning, and uh, eventually his uh, he'd be garnished or whatever his money would sort be. of sort of thing that you'd get tired of doing after you know maybe three times of. Saying right. profanity and bleeping it, and then exactly, it would be like having those, um, you know, um, warning things on your early Mac where you turn them into Simpsons quotes, and right, those yes. lasted what all of <laughs> three minutes. <laughs> uh, so, but he continued to do that because when this guy didn't understand why he couldn't use his level 10 sword that he bought for a lot of money, um, and he was only a level seven, he said, Well, what, what am I supposed to do with it now? To which our hero, the hero of the book, says, you could shove it up your ass and pretend you're a corn dog. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what he came up with. For I think I did write down in the book next to that line, just our hero. <laughs> like the guy we're supposed to be like rooting for. And um, yeah, and that was sort of similar to his, uh, his um, conversation with Halliday in his office where he's putting his feet up on the desk and telling him to go fuck a duck. Yeah. What I wondered though was, did this did the uh, censoring software pick this up? Because um, I don't know, ass, corn dog, shove, those, <laughs> that, you know, taken separately. But I suppose the syntax uh, software is more sophisticated than that. But, in, uh, in another in another cubicle, there's a, a tech who's legitimately trying to help a guy whose avatar got a corn dog stuck up their ass, like as he was <laughs> doing some weird thing. He's like, I just want to help this guy, and it's knocking down my. You know, helping score like this is we need to have a talk about this. I'm we're getting too aggressive with our algorithm, guys. We got to respect these guys who are into dogging. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Pretty spectacular stuff this week. Um, Yeah. And, you know, we're going to find out how this ends. We're going to we're going to find out what happens in the last 40 pages of the book that really uh, turned this whole mess around and got uh, dozens of respected nationwide critics to put this on their uh, year end best of list. Yeah, I mean, boy, it's uh, it's going to have to do some, uh, you know, James Joycey and turnabouts before uh, <laughs> before I can believe this. But right. uh, uh, you ain't lying. This made a lot of critics' lists. Uh, do you have any? I mean, do we even dare wade into wade in <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> any predictions? Or I mean, um, come on. I mean, let me. Can I make a prediction? They. They defeat the army and they get the key and then he and Artemis get the hell out of Dodge. I mean, I, it's not possible that there be anything else, right? Is there another surprise? I, I don't think there is. No, I mean, I guess, you know, in the beginning he said that he won, but I'm guessing that it's going to be he won, but he's realized, you know, his plan to leave the earth in a rocket ship in isolation was not the way to live your life now that he has found true friendship. And so he's probably going to end up splitting the money with all these people and, you know, maybe they'll use it to make the world a better place at Artemis is urging. Uh, but like, you know, uh, whatever. They also, I, in order to do that, because of last week's fan fiction, we know that they're going to have to quote Monty Python and the Holy Grail from memory. So like at that point, <laughs> at that point, like who cares? I'm waiting for the uh, when he spends some of his money to get his uh, earlobes reconstructed by a plastic surgeon. <laughs> That's what I look forward to. Yes. And will you got he... a corn dog stuck in their in their <laughs> in your ear gauge? 
Will he renounce rigs? That's what I want to know. Is since that we just yeah, learned huh. that that is a theme now, is he ready to uh, join one of those uh, leather-clad booster gangs and get <laughs> out and see the world, or is he maybe going to join the roving hordes? I, I don't know. Or he can go work at uh, the plug. Um, yeah, and that's right. Sponge off bodily fluids off of uh, other people's rigs. <laughs> He could become one of those electric cars going down the road, bringing goods and workers into the city. <laughs> we don't know. I guess there's a lot of possibilities. Yeah, we've talked, I've talked myself into it. I'm excited now. Yeah. So stay tuned. Uh, as always, we thank you for joining us for 372 pages. We'll never get back. And uh, we're almost into that 372. Get out there and finish that book. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time. So long. Bye. Theme music composed, recorded, and performed by Connor Lestovic.